0: Hi, welcome to the podcast on Consciousness with Bernard Bars, open-minded conversations on some new ideas about the scientific study of consciousness and the brain. I'm Nat Gell, this show's producer. In episode 18, we focused on connectivity, sleep and waking, plus we talked about some evidence related to global workspace functions. Well, for this new episode, Bernie handed the mics to his student interviewers. Ilian Daskalov, a cognitive science student from UC Irvine who is graduating this year, and Aliyah Squara, who was still a PhD candidate at Sarin Labs Center for Mind and Brain at UC Davis when we recorded, and has since received her doctorate. Episode 19 offers an insightful conversation between Aliyah and Ilyan where they differentiate between conscious and unconscious states, discuss the sleeping brain in modern society, and share a few ideas for how to optimize the quality of sleep, well-being, and longevity, partially based on research inspired by neuroscientist Matthew Walker and his recent book, Why We Sleep. Hello, Aaliyah. Hi, Ilian. Welcome. Hello. Good morning.
1: Hello, Nat. Hello, Aaliyah. And hello to our listeners. Our thought-provoking conversations are always such a pleasure. Today, I'm excited to further explore two of my favorite topics of research, sleep and consciousness. Hello Alia, it is good to talk with you again. In episode 18, we discussed two scientific papers by Marcelo Massimini a professor in the department of biomedical and clinical sciences Luigi Sacco at the University of Milan, Italy, in which he and his colleagues studied the connections between different sleep states and consciousness. For starters, I would appreciate more clarification on the terminology we used in that episode. For example... When we talk about conscious and non-conscious states, I feel like, for simplicity's sake, what we're talking about when we say that one is conscious that basically means being able to integrate and process the information that's coming from the outside world is that correct so sort of like when you say oh uh we're sleeping ergo we're unconscious that means even though we still sense information from the outside world such as you know the temperature of the room or how dark it is in the room we are not necessarily able to integrate the information as well so therefore we're unconscious is that how our viewers and i should look at things when we talk about conscious and unconscious states
2: i think that's a really good question and there's like debate about what conscious consciousness is and what qualifies as a conscious state but in global workspace theory it's yeah this idea of of conscious awareness that all of these different pieces of information that your brain is processing do get integrated into this experiential state that we subjectively experience as consciousness or awareness. So if you remember some of the studies we talked about during waking states, there's information or studies of of conscious awareness or awareness of information versus unconscious information process. So even when you're awake, You know, you can do an experiment where you flash something in front of someone's eyes so quickly that they don't consciously register it in that they could not report on it, they're not aware of it, but that information could actually still impact their processing and influence how they answer the next question or how they behave. So the the definition of like what is consciousness kind of depends on what level we're talking about here but i think when we're talking about dreaming sleeping shifting between waking and dream states yeah what we what we mean is this integration of this information into a unitary cohesive conscious experience you know i think it's really interesting the bernie mentioned dreaming is actually a conscious state and I would like to talk with him more about his understanding of that because in a dream state you're actually kind of in this internal awareness but it's somewhat separate or devoid from the external stimuli you are in a dark room you're not getting a ton of sensory stimuli but you're having this rich internal potentially conscious experience that is disconnected from the external sensory information you're getting
1: Do you think we're limited by our vocabulary when we talk about consciousness at all?
2: Mm, That's a good question. What makes you ask that?
1: Um, Well, I feel like with any new scientific field that emerges we just don't have good enough definitions for some of the things or we don't have any definitions at all Um, yeah such as you know there's many many examples of words that exist in certain languages for certain types of feelings such as the what was the german one the freudian something
2: freudian
1: No, no no uh Oh, Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude, yes, exactly. So there's such words that just exist in some languages and don't in others. And I feel like with the study of consciousness being so, such a relatively young in terms of the modern science um, way of looking at things, I feel like we are limited. Because, for example, what is the difference between, between subconscious and unconscious levels of processing? and i feel like there's just more vocabulary gaps out there that we yeah
2: i mean it's, it's interesting right because this the study of consciousness as a brain phenomena with this tools of neuroscience is relatively new but the philosophy of consciousness is like as old as philosophy is you know i i it's been a while since i've taken a class on this but people have been thinking about philosophy of mind and what it is to have this conscious experience for a long time so in some ways you know for like a, a long hunk of human history and you know what what is it to experience something in your mind versus the world even thinking back to you know platonian platonian ideals and you know all of these are kind of ideas of of the subjective conscious experience and i wish that i had brushed up on some of my early theory of mind philosophy before we jumped into this. But so in some ways, it's very new. And in some ways, it's very old. And this conversation is going on for a long time. And I think one of the the challenging things around it is that it is necessarily subjective, because your conscious experience is your conscious experience. And so in some ways, it's like, maybe we're trapped inside of the thing because we're trying to use the thing to discuss the thing. Uh, I have to be conscious of my experience to discuss consciousness and I'm trying to look at it from inside of it. So I wonder if it's, you know, certainly vocabulary in terms of the, the scientific piece is lacking, but I think also it's, it's challenging in that we're in this almost process, circular processing loop when trying to use our conscious awareness to, observe and define our conscious awareness
1: sort of like a catch-22
2: right you know i know bernie is is interested in this is beyond the scope of this episode but you know meditation and, and different techniques or kind of states of conscious awareness that offer different views into what it is or means to be conscious or the ways that things that we might experience as being fundamental to our conscious experience like a thought are actually features in the space of consciousness rather than consciousness itself. And I think that's part of why sleeping and dreaming are, are so interesting as well, where you're still having this subjective experience of of being alive. And yet, it's very altered from the daily quotidian experience. And yeah, well, I think...
1: Especially with dreaming, uh, it's highly interesting because let's say a phenomenon such as lucid dreaming you know it involves turning on certain areas of the brain turning off other areas of the brain and you're aware that you're dreaming but and you can control your dreams but you're not necessarily aware of the outside world so it's a it's a mind-boggling and fascinating uh way that the mind works in especially switching from those conscious and unconscious states that you referred to earlier.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm a, a sometimes lucid dreamer. And for me, I think also as a brain scientist, right. Some of the most interesting moments are where those collide. So I remember one of the, the first times I became aware of a lucid dream in the middle of a lucid dream I was building a boat in the dream, and I was building this big ship from this wood. And suddenly, in the middle of building this ship, I became aware that I was in a bedroom. And I was like, How am I fitting this ship into the bedroom? And where did I get the wood? So the dream and the external state started to collide a little bit and I was like confused in my own dream. And then it was like, well, the dream is happening in your mind. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, how did I fit the ship in my mind? Because the ship was still this <laughs> physical thing. And so my brain was very, you know, first it's like, well, how did you fit in the room? It's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's just happening in your mind. It's like, my head isn't that big. How did I fit this huge arc in my brain? And these kind of levels of awareness of of space and then, oh, it's happening in my mind, but then this idea of in my mind is over concretized into this physical space, yet I'm still aware that I'm building this ship and I'm kind of aware it's a dream, but I'm kind of not. Yeah, it's it's kind of these levels of conscious awareness intersecting and colliding with each other. And I, I don't have a good answer for that of like beyond, you know, consciousness somehow being aware of itself.
1: Well, listening to you now talk I'm really curious to find out because when we wake up you know especially if it's a forced loud bang wake up and yeah. those first few seconds you're so disoriented you don't know what day it is what time it is how long I've been asleep for what's reality what isn't and that particular time between being unconsciously asleep and consciously awake those few seconds being a, like in that transition stage, I think it would be very fascinating to see what exactly happens in the brain the way, for example, uh, the first study you described, you know, we could measure, if we could measure what exactly happens in the brain, I think that will give us some good answers into what consciousness is or what parts are involved and so on.
2: Yeah, I think actually this is a great opportunity for me to learn a little bit more about You. This is where a lot of your research interests are, right? In neuroscience of sleep. Like, What what is it that draws you to that? What's interesting to you? Is it theoretical? Is it practical? Is it some combination of both?
1: More practical than theoretical. I am a man of all sorts of practicalities. So if I can take a tool of science and use it to enhance my daily life, uh, I would. And when I initially started looking to sleep, it, it just it was evident that that's probably the most important part of our lives that we just so willingly neglect we're probably one of the only species out there that will deprive themselves of sleep and just we, we and we we cherish that in culture you know we we celebrate people who go on all nighters and you know people that work through the late night and oh, I don't do
2: that anymore.
1: <laughs> good good don't don't don't. Uh, but yeah, we, we 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 I feel like we just live and I, I hate to use that term. We live in a society. But we live in a society. Okay. But we live in a society where we've we've ignored sleep and the benefits of sleep and that's why I got so interested in it because I think it was under discussed topic and I started looking up at what exactly happens If you don't get enough sleep, if you get irregular cycles of sleep. Um, So that's what got me interested into the whole subject initially. And uh, since then, I've come across some great research, mostly inspired by a neuroscientist called uh, Matthew Walker. He recently wrote a book called Why We Sleep.
2: Yeah, I've not yet read it, but I've heard Fantastic I things.
1: highly recommend it. Probably one of the most impactful books in my life. And it's just because I took so much from it and implied it to my everyday life. And really, it turns out that sleep is crucial to anything. And it's probably one of the best predictors of longevity. And one of my goals is to live as long as possible, as healthy as possible. So and in- inevitably, sleep is directly correlated with what I'm trying to do. And that's how I got interested in the topic of sleep.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we kind of all take for granted until it goes wrong. Like we, you know, I I forget what the exact statistics are, but a huge number of people experience insomnia at some point in their lives. I'd have to look up the exact numbers on that. But I remember when I first saw them, I was, I was shocked at how frequent that is. And yeah, like you said, this kind of culture of celebrating deprivation or busyness or pushing yourself or kind of being able to just push through and not rest and what the impacts of those things are on our ability to live well, both in terms of being able to think clearly and think deeply, but also our health and our, our long-term, you know, our longevity. Like you said, I know like studies of sleep deprivation in animals are pretty dire um in terms of the neurobiological and physical consequences
1: exactly exactly and especially when you uh relate that to say early school starts you know that's a subject that is finally starting to get discussed here and there but not as often and it turns out the developing mind if you have if you have to wake it up and deprive it of that much much needed sleep it's just detrimental to their cognitive development further on in life and I and I just wonder the amount of damage we're doing with those like going to school at seven twenty, you know, and kids having to wake up as early as five thirty. I don't think is, I've seen
2: that hour of morning and <laughs>
1: so bad a time. For, for a kid uh, or a, te- a teenager, you know. Um, so I just feel like we we just have ignored this subject for a while. So I'm I'm glad that we're talking about it. I'm glad that other people are talking about it. And I hope that we get to do something, not just talk about it. But yeah,
2: well, I think it's so interesting too, in that like we we know it's really important, and we're kind of coming more to understand it. But we're still really learning about why and what happens. You know, we we think it's important for memory consolidation and like dreaming, REM sleep, and dreaming in particular. And you know, there's research on the function of non-REM sleep and I'm kind of cleaning out of, I'm going to sound super hippy dippy in general here, and it's just because I'm out of my depth in terms of the exact both mechanisms and chemicals, but there's a cleaning out of toxins that happens. A theory that that's a really important piece, um, and that that might relate to some of the both body and brain damage you see in sleep deprivation as is a buildup of these chemicals that your body's not actually able to clear without sleep. But all of this is really kind of shockingly. As much as, in still in development, as much as we do know, and it's not to discredit the amount of really fantastic research that's been done. Like you said, I think for a long time, it, it wasn't prioritized to understand exactly why it is that we need sleep and what are the neurobiological physical processes that go on that make it like a really necessary part of being a healthy and functioning body and mind.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're totally right with that. For for example, like some of the things that I have personally done, you know, the usual no screens in the bedroom, that's a a must. But uh, just keeping a colder bedroom turns out to be essential. Um, Apparently, your body just falls asleep easier when it's cold. Um, And that's why, for example, if you take a hot shower, people think it's the warmth of the water that puts you asleep. It's actually the body trying to cool itself off from being overheated that puts you to sleep faster so that's why hot showers will put to sleep faster. Regularity turns out to be very important you know it's almost as important as how long your sleep is um, seven to nine hours being the recommended for adults but what, what time you go to bed is also important you know and not deviating from your sleep schedule. And another thing that I thought was fascinating was that light I mean it sounds obvious, but not until you look into it. It's just that light controls this cycle of your body, the circadian rhythm. And it turns out that, for example, what I do when I wake up is almost immediately I go outside and intake the blue light from the sun, which pretty much serves as a start button to all of your cells in your body. And it's that blue light um from the sun in the early hours up until like 9 a.m that starts your metabolism and starts the releasing of melatonin for later on and um so and adenosine and so on
2: that's really interesting i know like just your experientially um my last house i had a room with a skylight and um my sleep cycle was not aligned with the sun rising and falling because you know, I'm a grad student. I was working late. I was going to bed late. So when the sun rose, it would get light in my room. I would be exposed to light, but it might be after five hours of sleep. And so I kind of trained myself to sleep through the sun rising. But I actually felt like a real detriment of my sleep cycles being decoupled from the rising and falling of the sun, of having forcing my body to ignore those signals because I, I needed to, I needed to keep sleeping. It wasn't, you know, enough sleep when the time the sun rose and I don't, I don't really know what, what was happening, but there's something where I had kind of decoupled those and it made it actually quite hard to ever feel fully alert and, and woken up. Like it was normally I'm a person like wakes up when I wake up, I'm like, I'm here. Good morning. Ah, like my poor partner, you know, he's, he's a slow waker and I'm like, hi, <laughs> but once those couple those those were kind of decoupled it was like I'd be very groggy and slow in the morning from whatever training I'd done of myself it was it was interesting it's better now no longer in the the skylight room but
1: good well that's just a very good example of why graveyard work can be so bad for you I mean I don't want to say that we don't need graveyard workers you know nurses and all sorts of people are highly essential for the functioning of society but just graveyard shifts can be very very detrimental to one's uh, sleep especially because it's decoupled from the sun and the light such as the society we've built and unfortunately we have to deal with it to the best of our ability but i'm glad you're no longer on that schedule
2: yeah i'm gonna take your sun bath idea i think that's a great idea i'm
1: yeah yeah, yeah. two three minutes of sun exposure is literally what we'll Get that 24-hour cycle um, in your body to um, get started.
2: Better than a cup of coffee.
1: <laughs> better than a cup of coffee. Better than a cup of coffee. I, actually I mean, the title me. of this, this episode,
2: Better Than a Cup of Coffee. <laughs> better Than a Cup
1: of Coffee. That should be a podcast. Yeah. If you ask me. <laughs> or some morning <laughs> podcast. But uh, like I said, I'm glad you're no longer uh, in that sleep schedule.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to be better about it. I'm definitely someone who... It, it's not even my my sleep cycles. I think I just, I take, I like drag my feet going to bed and, and get in a bad cycle, of like going to bed too late and wake up too early. Cause I just get interested in something or distracted by something. And then all of a sudden it's one am and then waking up later, but I definitely feel a major difference in my energy throughout the day when I combat that. And I'm in bed by between 11 and midnight and wake up at, at eight. It's kind of, if I wake up much earlier than that, my body doesn't like it. If I wake up much later than that, it doesn't like it. It seems to like 8 a.m.
1: So you found what works for you, and that's important.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting that it's different for different people, like there are kind of different natural wake-up times from what I've read, the different, you know, it's partly tied to the sun, it's also partly tied to your own neurobiology of like, when your body wants to wake up.
1: Yeah, and about 30% of people turn out to be night owls, which is terrible because life was not built for them, unfortunately. We want you up at 8 and working at 8.30 or 9 at the latest. Yeah. And so, on behalf of science, I would like to apologize to the night owls out there who must wake up for school or work early in the morning. An odd to sleep from William Shakespeare's Macbeth feels apropos at the close of our podcast. Innocent sleep. Sleep that soothes away all our worries. Sleep that puts each day to rest. Sleep that relieves the weary laborer and heals the hurt mind. Sleep, the main course in life's feast and the most nourishing. Aliyah, please come back as Bernie's special guest so that we can explore your own research on compassion and responses to suffering. That sounds good. Until next time, dear listeners, when we talk with Robert Kozma, professor of mathematics at the University of Memphis, so that we can unpack a recent paper he co-authored with Bernard Bars and Natalie Gelt, titled Global Workspace Theory and the Prefrontal Cortex, Recent Developments. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in.
0: to show our appreciation, we are offering our listeners a 50% discount for any edition of Bernie's book on Consciousness, Science, and Subjectivity, Updated Works on Global Workspace Theory. Just go to shop.thenautiluspress.com, spelled S-H-O-P dot T-H-E-N-A-U-T-I-L-U-S-P-R-E-S-S dot com, and be sure to enter the word books. B-O-O-K-S, in the coupon code box during checkout for that extra 50% savings. Of course, Bernie's books are available everywhere books are sold, although your 50% discount is only available in the Nautilus shop. If you'd like to discover more about the conscious brain and learn more about global workspace functions, please visit Bernie's new website at bernardbars.com. And I'm going to spell that also, B-E-R-N-A-R-D-B-A-A-R-S, Dot .com and thank you for listening.